welcome to EMDR Chat with Kurt and Michelle. I'm Dr. Curtis Rousen. And I'm Dr. Michelle Gottlieb. Hey, we're really glad you're all here today, and we've got some exciting things to talk about. Uh, There was recently an article, Kurt, I don't know if you saw it, but it really struck me, Um, and it's one of the major magazines um, about EMDR therapy. And overall, it was really good, but there was one line in it that just jumped out at me saying, you cannot do EMDR therapy with people who dissociate. And that struck me. Kurt, would you like to talk about why that probably struck me the way it did? Well, yeah, considering that we've been doing that since EMDR therapy began, using EMDR with dissociation. The other thing it mentions is that you probably could not use it with personality disorders. Right. And I think it would be helpful, uh, not only for our listeners who are EMDR trained, but those who have not been, to understand one of the basic theoretical underpinnings of EMDR therapy, which is the adaptive information processing model. And I want you to think about this as we then move into dissociation. The AIP, or the Adaptive Information Processing Model, is a theoretical orientation in which EMDR therapy is based, developed by Francine Shapiro. That theory holds that all our present reactions, our present triggers, the things that we do here and now, are related to earlier instances, which we will call traumas, earlier events, that have built a, as you like to call it, Michelle, a Jenga tower of experiences. And those earlier memory networks will contribute and alter how we perceive the present, how we react to present issues, and are the results and the reasons why our patients come in with symptoms. Originally, EMDR therapy focused on post-traumatic stress disorders, and it works very well. But over the 31 years that I've been doing it and all the research that's come out, EMDR therapy is also applicable to almost any symptom our patients come in with, whether it's mood disorders, depression, anxiety, or personality disorders. Now, why would you say that, Chris? That's recalcitrant. You can't really treat, treat personality disorders. But what if, just bear with me, what if all disorders in the DSM, except those that are organically based, what if all of them are simply an outer expression, a symptom of earlier traumatic memories? And if you desensitize those earlier memories, like the early neglect, abandonment, abuse that many personality disorder patients have, you desensitize that, then maybe perhaps we can relieve those symptoms that have been viewed in the past as almost resistant to treatment. Now it brings us to dissociation. I believe, like Harry Stack Solomon and my friend Colin Ross does, that that dissociation is a fundamental defense structure of the human brain. It simply is being there and not being there at the same time. So one of the things we look at in EMDR therapy is that dissociation isn't necessarily something to avoid, It's part of the memory network. And we will talk about, I think we will in this segment, about the difference between dissociative process and dissociative disorders. So going back to the article, if we do not, or we are unable to, utilize EMDR treatment with someone who dissociates, we will never treat trauma. 
dissociation is a fundamental part of every trauma, traumatic experience. It's part of the memory network, period. So of course we can use EMDR with dissociative process and even dissociative disorders. But let me just start with that. Yes, we certainly have been using EMDR with dissociation since the beginning of EMDR therapy. That's a long answer, Michelle, but there you go. And, and there's so much to talk about. In fact, when I um, started thinking about the the areas that we need could talk about EMDR therapy and dissociation, and I talked to some of our uh, uh, training team, and they gave me even more, there is no way we're going to talk about everything this time. Maybe we'll come back and revisit this topic. Um, but again, I want to build on what Kurt just said. Dissociation is normal. We all dissociate. Every one of us has had the experience of driving a car someplace and not remembering how you got there. That's a type of dissociation. It's normal. It is an amazing and wonderful way to cope with trauma. I tell my clients all the time, I'm so glad you don't remember because why would you have wanted to stay in your body when those horrible things were happening to you? So it is a great mechanism to deal with trauma. It's only not so good when, as an adult, and you don't have control over it, and you're checking out of your life. So picture dissociation like a continuum. The one end of it is, again, that normal level dissociation that we all do. As we continue on, we go into dissociative processes, that checking out when life's just maybe a little bit too rough, all the way to the other end, which is the dissociative disorders, the most extreme, of course, being DID, dissociative identity disorder, which I'm guessing we probably, while we may touch on today, we probably won't get time to really talk about that today. Um, but one, before we even get into really talking about how you work with them, the most important thing that I want to start with is the relationship we have with our clients. Our clients have to trust us. If we don't have a really good personal relationship, rapport, with our clients, in EMDR therapy we talk about attunement, they won't feel safe enough to do the work, to work through the trauma that created the dissociation in the first place. Kurt, you want to add anything to that? Oh, that's an excellent point. You know, <clears throat> one of the things about EMDR therapy, uh, attunement and rapport is built not only in being in the presence of our, of our clients, but also as we, I call it, be a co-journeyman with them as they move through their traumatic stories. We're there. Our presence in the room is a way of centering and grounding them. So phase two of EMDR therapy is preparation. And part of that is teaching grounding techniques and keeping them in the present and I'm going to, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but part of the grounding for our patients is us, the therapist, and having that kind of relationship. I want to tell a quick story that I talk about in the trainings, uh, Michelle, and I believe it was Bessel van der Kolk who was showing a video of him doing EMDR with a, a woman who had survived the Holocaust and who then lost her son in 9-11 in the, in the towers. And she was looking at Bessel, and he was trying to create a safe place, a grounding place for her. And she looks at him, and in her accent, she says, Bessel, there is no safe place. And he looks at her, and he says, do you feel safe with me in this moment? 
says, of course. And he began to use that as the foundation of building safety. Why am I talking about that right now? Because working through the dissociative process, and particularly the dissociative disorders, that sense of safety needs to be present so our patients can move through scary things, and we are part of that grounding experience for them. So now that we've talked a little bit about that continuum of dissociation from normal all the way to dissociative disorders like DID, and talked a little bit about how that personal relationship is so crucial, creating that safety. A question that we often get asked, especially for people, I was going to say people new in the field, but that's not actually accurate. There's a lot of people who've been in this field for a long time who ask the question as well. How do you know if your clients are dissociating? And there's a lot of answers to that. One is, we, there are screening tools that we've got, but it can be everything from that 10-mile that stare or that not being able to respond to questions but or, or commands. But And those are some of the more obvious ones in session. But sometimes it can be really subtle where Kurt just said, you know, they're there and not there at the same time. And the more attuned you are to your client, the more you can see, feel, understand that they're there. They may even be talking to you, but they're not 100% there with you. Some of the procedures we do in our training to help people that are clinicians work with the um, associative clients is to be aware sometimes in, with the eye movements, those of you that know what eye movements do in EMDR therapy, they may simply stop focusing on the fingers and stare past them. And we got to do our little, what I call rabbit ears, uh, shorten our sets, come a little slower till they get the eyes moving again. Uh, the other thing that's very helpful is just using supportive comments and patter like it's old stuff. Just let it go by. Just let it pass. Like scenes from the train. Ongoing conversation. Why would you do that? Well, I'm not asking a question that derails them from their information processing. But what I am doing is my voice is becoming part of that dual attention where they have one foot in the present and one foot in the past. Any good trauma treatment of any kind will utilize some kind of procedure, mindfulness or whatever they use, to keep one foot in the present and one foot in the past. They will often be unresponsive, as Michelle said. They may also have strong emotions at one moment and then all of a sudden you see it just fade away. Now, the first time I saw that as a newly trained EMDR therapist, I had been working with dissociative disorders for about 12 years prior to EMDR training. And I saw that fade away, and I had enough experience with dissociative disorders that I technically broke protocol, as we call it, and I asked the question. I asked this young woman, what she said she felt nothing. I, I just said, when you feel nothing, where do you go? And she pointed up to the right side of her uh, head towards the ceiling. And so I utilized a diagonal eye movement, which brought her back in touch. But I was attuned to the fact that her eyes did a little blip. And that's the kind of thing that Michelle's talking about, attunement. EMDR therapy is going to cause you to be very attuned to the slightest micro expression your patients have. That's another way that helps us understand when they're there and when they're not there. And remember, them not being there is also part of the memory network. 
So let me build on that for a second. We talk about that, that the way they survived the trauma was by dissociating. When you start doing reprocessing and they're dissociating, as long as one foot's present, that is exactly the work that you need to do. So it's not stop, don't don't dissociate anymore, just come back and be with me, which by the way, that doesn't work in case you were wondering. Um, But if they're at least 50% in the room with you, you can do the work. That is part of that memory network. It's part of that same experience. We talk about um, somatic experiences coming up, like they're nauseous or they're dizzy. That may have been part of what happened during the trauma. Dissociation is no different. So when it comes up, the for those of you who are trained, you know what I'm going to say, you say, go with that. Notice that. And we do another set of bilaterals because that is the memory network we're dealing with. Don't be scared of dissociation. It's not bad. It's not evil. And it's very workable. But let me go to some of the, again, the myths. Like one of the ones I just said is just saying to a client, stop it. You, we can't do this if you're dissociating. Just, just stop it. Again, doesn't work. Um, and EMDR therapy very much can be done with all levels of dissociation, that entire continuum. And let me just speak to that um and the severe side of dissociation, dissociative disorders, I will tell you that uh, working with that side of the continuum will require additional training, additional consultation, because dissociative disorders is a specialty area within itself. And you'll hear Michelle and I say that none of us started off in the field of therapy saying, oh, I want to focus on dissociative disorders. When I started out, I didn't even know what that was. And I became became aware of it because of the patients that came in with it. And there were very few people that were around that knew about dissociative disorders or could treat it. And so rather than leave my patients untreated, I sought out consultation. I sought out the books. I contacted Colin Ross. I contacted other people that work with dissociation. International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation is a wonderful organization. But just be aware that that side of the continuum, yes, we can definitely work with it. But you also are going to need some other training other than just EMDR to help you deal with that side of a severe continuum. Kurt mentioned Colin Ross. He's got the Colin Ross Institute. There is ISSTD, the International Study for the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation. There are others. Um, there are advanced trainings. EMDR Professional Training offers a couple of different advanced trainings on working with dissociation. There are some amazing books. There's and there's consultation. One of the things that you know, if I if I get a case that. I'm like, oh, my God, they're highly dissociative. What do I do? I call Kurt. Kurt then reminds me I know what to do, but whatever. So to remind, we've got consultation. We've got someone's hand out there we can grab. So you're not in this by yourself. Anytime I have a consultee call me up and say, I have someone highly dissociative. Can I refer them to you? My answer is no, but I'll help you. So you're not in this by yourself. Exactly. There's support out there, and don't be hesitant. You know, one of the things about being a mental health professional is that we're very, we have difficult times sometimes admitting we don't know everything. 
and to reach out for consultation, we often see as a sign of weakness. I'm an expert. I shouldn't have. To, I should know this. You see that at every professional conference we go to, that like people walk around like they know everything. The truth is, we don't know. As I, one of my mentors in my doctoral program said, an expert is someone who knows what they don't know and knows how to get that information. That's what we're asking you to do. Be an expert. Acknowledge what you don't know, but seek out the information. Doesn't that take so much more courage than going, no, no, I, I know what I'm doing. It's okay. We don't know. We ask. All right. We don't have a ton of time left, but um, one of the questions that uh, our training team suggested that we discuss is how do you explain to a client dissociation? So we've talked about, you know, talking to other clinicians, but Kurt, how do you explain to a client? Well, often I explain to the client because I've witnessed it. And I, I might say something like, you know, you had strong emotion a minute ago, and now it's like nothing. What, what did you notice? What was your experience? He says, well, it was there, and, and it was just gone. I said, interesting. And I'll often ask the question, has anyone ever asked you when you stop feeling strong emotions like that, where you go? And I remember the first patient looked at me with a stunned look on her face. She says, no, that's not a dumb question. No one's ever asked me. I go to the back of my head. Oh, well, you know, that's, we call that dissociation. It's God's gift to abuse children. It's, Absolutely. It's a way that you've been able to survive things and leave your body, so to speak, so that when the bad things happen to your body, your brain takes you elsewhere to help you survive. That's the gift of dissociation. It is really God's gift to abuse children. And I say things, because you've heard me say some of them already. First off, it's normal. I explain that everybody dissociates. I dissociate. Everybody dissociates. So once we normalize it, that helps. And I'll say, you know, do you notice times that you kind of check out, that you're not totally present? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, helped. that happens to me a lot. And then we begin to talk about it. And it's okay. Again, it's not a bad thing. What triggers you when you kind of check out? Um, let me just, there, let me just, yeah. sorry, let me say this one other thing. You mentioned this earlier in this uh, podcast, but there's also some uh, rough screening devices that you can use in your history taking and preparation phases where like the dissociative uh, experience schedule, these are 28 questions. There's the mid, there's other kinds of, uh, other kinds of paper pencil tests you can take. The good thing about doing that is if they rate high in some of the questions, you can take that question and bring it into therapy and talk about what they mean by that. Sometimes they misunderstand the questions. Sometimes it gives you a lot of information and you can help educate them what their scores mean. That's another way. The other thing that, um, actually, Kurt, I'm laughing because you said paper and pencil. Kurt's shown his age again, folks. Did you know a lot of this is computerized? Oh my God. What's, what's a know. computer? <laughs> I know. It's absolutely amazing. Um, but another common myth of dissociation is we we think, as we've discussed it a lot today, of that checking out. But that checking out isn't necessarily losing time or losing the conversation. You can be dissociated from your body. You can be dissociated from emotions. There's lots of different ways people can be dissociative. Well, our time is up, Michelle. I want to thank everyone again for listening. It's great being here for you. Until next time. 
Have a great therapy experience. Thank you, everybody, for being here.